Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 303, and today's guest is Gavin Nakbar, CEO and co-founder of Column Tax. Column Tax is on a mission to democratize access to tax and finance advice to improve people's lives. The company is building the infrastructure and APIs that power year-round income tax products for all mobile banking and fintech companies. Comtax is venture-backed by Bain Capital Ventures, Felicis, Not Boring, Core Innovation Capital, and South Park Commons. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics like building a company and how to think about competing against the large incumbents in the industry, Gavin's background story, including sales and operations roles at Dropbox, Premise Data, and Waymo, all the details on column tax and how they are approaching the business of filing taxes a very different way and the level of impact their platform is having, especially with low-income families, advice for building a remote-first company, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Did you know that you can set up a user profile in VentureFizz? A user profile gives you access to personalized content, job seeker tools, and administrative features to manage your email subscriptions. To create a user profile and maximize your experience on VentureFizz, go to VentureFizz.com register to get started. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Gavin. Gavin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Likewise, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, I always uh, ask the question, which I'm not asking now, but I will be asking soon. I noticed you're a Celtics fan, so I'm curious to see where you grew up. And we're going to talk about column tax and all the great things that you're up to. I'm a, I'm a Celtics fan too. Uh, but anyways, let's uh, let's set the stage a little bit though, because the company you're building is taking on some pretty large incumbents. And there's always that fear for entrepreneurs. They're like, you know, you, you share your idea with somebody and they're like, Ooh, yeah. Is it, is it just Google or Microsoft going to do that? Or, you know, some other big brand going to just do that? What, like, why would you take on those 800 pound gorillas? So uh, I thought that'd be a good starting point just to talk about that, you know, stigma with entrepreneurs, you know, go, you know, building something innovative and new yet there's the 800 pound gorillas out there. Yep. The paradox of, starting a company. I think you almost by definition run into this because if it's something worth tackling, like if it's big enough to tackle, then somebody is either already doing it or lots of people likely are are trying to. So for us in in the tax space, the same companies have been largely the predominant players in tax for something like 30, 40 years. Um, the original e-file system started in the 80s. And when we look at that, we believe a lot in the world has changed since then. And the needs of a taxpayer and the opportunity to serve them has fundamentally changed. And so for us, when we look at how we can be better, it always starts with taxpayers. What are the needs that they have? What are the problems they solve? And then when you look at the companies that serve those needs today, where are the gaps? Like what has changed in the world and how can we serve people better? And so for us, what we fundamentally believe is that in the 80s, when these e-file systems were first built, they were built separate from someone's financial life. Um, it was largely a pen and paper world and it came online. It's very separate. The concept was type in data that was sent to you probably on a piece of paper. So type type data into the, into the computer. Now the world has totally changed. People bank on their phones and on computers. Uh, almost all financial data is either programmatically available or will be soon. So these things have changed. And so the way we think about it is 
large companies can either shift fundamentally the way that they serve people or call and tax as an opportunity to do so. Um, and we, we believe that's us. That's why we're here. Yeah. Like I'm sure there's, uh, you know, people that are thinking about how to innovate yet, um, you know, there is a stigma for larger companies that sometimes it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's a complex thing for them to do. And they start up innovation divisions, they close them down. Like, so it's just, uh, uh, more of the nimble startups that think differently that, uh, ultimately change how things are done. So, all right, well, let's, uh, get back to the original point I brought up. So you're a Celtics fan. So where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Western Massachusetts and, uh, was been a Celtics and uh, Patriots fan, which is not the most popular opinion outside of Massachusetts. Very popular in, uh, but I grew up in Massachusetts. I then went to school in Colorado and I made my way to San Francisco after that. And so I grew up in New Hampshire. So same. That's why nice. you know, four for four live outside of Philadelphia. So yes, it's uh, it was tough being a Patriots fan until they beat us in the Super Bowl, And then that they, 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 didn't, they didn't care anymore. Ease the tension. <laughs> it eased the tension yeah. big time. It was, a, it was a rough year for me though. But anyways, so what led you to Colorado to uh, to uh, conduct your studies there? Colorado College was a school I went to. Really unique school. I think constant theme in my life, trying to find uh, different or unique ways. So Colorado College, small liberal arts school, they, instead of doing a semester where you do like four classes for four months, at CC, you do one class at a time. So you do one class for a month. And then you switch and you do that four times. Uh, so it's the same number of classes sliced vertically instead of horizontally. And I've never heard of that. Interesting. It was sweet. It's called the block plan. It is, I think, much better for me, like the way my brain works. I also think it much closer, it mirrors much closer to what life is like, where you go really deep on something. Uh, it's less common that you do 25% of your time split evenly in your life across four things. So I loved that. It was really immersive. Um, and it was great. I wanted to get off the East Coast and the combination of those things was uh, it was great. All right. So how'd you get your career started? When when I was uh when I was looking at jobs, I I used a what I would say is like a very simple framework, which was what apps do I use? Like what apps are on my phone? <laughs> Um, and when I was 20 or 21, that was basically the best way that I could proxy where would be a cool place to work. It's like, what do I use? What do I understand? And at the time, I guess it was, it was like 2013. It was Uber, Airbnb, Dropbox. Uh, there were a couple others, but those were like the apps that were on my phone. Like they were the things that I used in, in my life. And so I was just determined to try and find my way to one of them. And I got very lucky. Dropbox had a rotational program for new grads, and I, I weaseled my way in somehow. So that was that was my start, and I was so fortunate to meet uh, amazing people there. And I feel like those people have propelled me forward since. And what were the different uh, functional areas that you were working as part of that rotation? Sales and customer service, uh, picking up the phone uh, to call someone or having someone call you. Very much like the front lines for uh for the business learned a ton and then had a chance to move into strategy and operations from there i think everyone should have a like a experience in sales at some point in their career because it's just yes. it goes so far as far as that foundational level stuff that makes you appreciate so many other things and you learn so much right i think it's a there's two there's so many different ways that you can come at learning how businesses work and and how you can work within them i loved the 
like, hey, you're literally writing emails to people to try and get them to, to buy. It very much means in the future when I was working in strategy or, or biz ops and we were building, let's say, like a five-year plan, sales growth isn't just a row on a spreadsheet. Like, it's like, oh, no, this is people doing the work out there. And it's not simply like there's a funnel conversion rate and X goes to Y. It's like, no, no, like this is pounding the pavement and experiencing that I think is very good uh, earlier in your career. Yeah, and like what what was involved in your role? So like you had a title on LinkedIn, North American Lead Sales Strategy and Operations at Dropbox. So what did that entail? That was where I ended, definitely not where I started. Um, uh, the, okay, so let's see the progression. Started six months doing customer support for Dropbox uh, for business. So, so let me take you back. Dropbox was one of the fastest growing software companies of all time, mostly on the consumer side. And from there realized a lot of people were using it for business opportunity to move into enterprise. And so I was picking up the phones, answering business customers questions. Um, that was the first six months. I actually was really fortunate to be exposed to analytics in that too, under like on a project basis, then did sales six months of sales development where I was paired with account executives doing outbound, uh, trying to get large corporations to buy Dropbox. So that was everything from like, Fortune 500 or even like Fortune 10 companies down to, you know, small mom and pop shops. Uh, and it was cool. Like it was end-to-end -end prospecting, working with uh, account executives. I love the process. Like I thought building processes and systems was the interesting part of that. So I ended up on sales ops, which was, you know, everything from how do we uh, work with Salesforce to, as a tool to help the uh, we're forced to cutting books and territories. And so figuring out how do we grow? Uh, how do you grow an enterprise Salesforce? That uh, was very fun. And that, I mean, that was a unique time too, if I'm, my memory is correct, because you know, you're probably competing against Box, but the, you know, storing everything in the cloud wasn't where every enterprise was at that time frame. So you had to like do a no. lot of like convincing of this is the right direction to go for your business security and you know, there's so much that they would think about that, you know, obviously now it's like second nature, but. That's right. And, you know, this was really like Google Drive had just started. OneDrive was like just kind of a thing. It was very early. It was, yeah, that's right. It was very much, it was controversial. Like the idea of having a, a Dropbox enterprise solution was not, uh, that was not that common. Um, people were, it was a lot of attachments and emails. So yeah, very different time. All right, so what'd you do after Dropbox? From there, I worked at a startup called Premise, Premise Data, which was, was is a collaboration platform. So the, the through line for, for me was I was always attracted to operationally complex problems. The ones where people are solving things with software, whether that's like a Salesforce that's trying to sell, um, or at Premise that was, how do you take large crowdsource networks uh, to aggregate data. And the original product of Premise was standing up what we would say is like uh, a human network. So thousands of people in sub-Saharan Africa to report daily on the prices of food at their market, which in aggregate, you could aggregate into a food price index. And you could see real time, how is the price changing uh, for bananas uh, day over day, which was super interesting. The that then parlayed into a bunch of different business lines. And so I joined there. Um, and that was the first time I really sold 
to large enterprises. We sold to the government. Uh, and so I learned a lot about what does it take to, to do long sales uh, to large customers. All right. And then from there, you worked at Waymo, which uh, you know, is a company that probably a lot of people recognize as Google's self-driving cars project. Yep. Yep. Uh, another operationally complex problem, humans, hardware, software, uh, and I worked on a mix of strategy and operations, um, new territory launch and planning all that stuff. Uh, another amazing team that is over the last really year made some incredible progress. Uh, their work in San Francisco and Phoenix is just like inspiring, really amazing team. So how do you think your role in more of these you know, complex operations helped you become an entrepreneur and building your own company? I think a couple of things. The first, I kind of already touched on this, but the first is the more complex operational problems you see, or at least that I have seen, the more appreciation I have for execution being the thing that matters when building a company. R really like it, vision is great but the execution is what gets it done. And so seeing that makes me feel very excited about trying to start a company because it's all in the execution. It's all about how you deliver on, on the goals that you have. And that's the difference. So more operations, more execution gives me more confidence in, in that being the difference. I think also I've been lucky to see large and small. So Google-sized company down to premise, which was like series B, definitely understand and appreciate the diversity of uh, experience across those. Um, small company, big company, big team, small team uh, made me, I just wanted to go smaller. Like the smaller uh, the company, the more interesting the problems I found. All right, so let's talk about column tech. So, you know, we talked about your background. Never once did we hear any like FinTech, uh, you know, tax software related experience domain. So what led you and your, your co-founder down the path of starting a company focused on this segment? My co-founder and I worked at Waymo together. We spent uh, three and a half, four years uh, working on self-driving cars. And when we left, we knew we wanted to start something that was in the intersection of software and operations. That's like, that is both of us. He, he worked on the simulation team at Waymo. Um, that's what we love is these kind of like hairy problems that can't get solved without lots of people, uh, people plus software. And so we also, we've also each frankly had some like pretty nasty tax problems um, in our lives. And so when we were looking at the things that impacted us uh, and the type of work that would need needed to be done to solve those problems, we kind of found our way to tax. Like it found us, we found it. And a big, like a big moment for us, I remember in AHA was talking with a couple of taxpayers um, low-income taxpayers, people who made, let's say, less than $15,000, and hearing from them how important the tax refund was to their annual financial life. Um, and for us, realizing, oh, wow, not only is this very stressful, something we've experienced, so critical for such a large section uh, segment of the population, and in order to solve this problem, you really have, you have a lot of operational complexity to it. We're just super drawn to the problem. Yeah, because there is that psychology of the tax refund, right? It's like a forced savings. So when you do get that check for two grand, it's like, oh, wow, this is the you know largest sum of money that I've received in one, and there's no tax taken out of that, right? So it's, exactly. it's actually hitting their account. So right. yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And it's just, 
I think I when I was doing my research for this conversation, the tax code is seventy five thousand pages. So, so I was thinking, I'm like, well, you're building a startup. It doesn't really get much more complex than trying to digest the tax code of the IRS. <laughs> right. And make it uh, make it more accessible and make it year round. So when we when we think about let's let's take a high net worth individual in the US, you would have not only someone doing your taxes for you, taking the stress off, but you would also have someone looking at your finances and saying, hey, it's June, you can do X now that will impact your taxes in nine months. And that privilege today is largely locked in the brain of a tax planning person or a CPA. And so being able to build software that democratizes access to that advice, brings it to people in whatever financial app they are uh, already using, we think that's very powerful. Incredibly powerful. Because that's that, like those uh, multiple ahas that I had throughout learning more about column tax. Um, with the low income, which I want to talk more about that. But then there's, you know, people that are paying uh, tax preparers for doing your taxes and whatever level of complexity it is. I'm like, yeah, wouldn't it make sense for, because never once through the course of a year, do I think about anything that's going to affect my taxes when I send everything to my accountant and they spit something out. And it, like, whether it's selling a stock or, you know, like yes. buying a home or like, it's just all these things where it's like, uh, you know, refinancing your mortgage, like, like, or like just all these things. It's like, not once do I think, how is that going to affect my bottom line when I do my taxes? Exactly. And it probably, it probably doesn't make sense for you to do that. As in, it doesn't make financial sense. The, there are exceptions, there are probably outliers, but it probably doesn't make financial sense, one. And two, it's stressful. <laughs> Whenever we talk yeah. to people about taxes, the constant theme is, I don't want to think about it. Um, this isn't a joyous experience. It brings, it's stressful. And so I, it's an avoidance thing, which exactly. So imagine you're in a retail trading app, you make a trade at 350 days of holding that stock. That'll be taxed with short-term capital gains. If you had held it for a little bit longer, may potentially be uh, taxed at a lower rate. Unless you, like, I believe every stock trading app should proactively notify you based on some understanding of the tax code that implication and and you should know like you should not have to have in your mind this rule set based on every trade all the things that's the opportunity that's the opportunity we see yeah no and i think it would be amazing if you know because i think the lion's share of my involvement with preparing taxes is the gathering of information and that takes a lot of time too and then to get it to the accountant and they do their work but uh i, I wish there was an easier way to have the aggregation piece be less time consuming. But anyways, that's more oh, of a rant. No, that's right. And so many parts of our lives are getting easier. Like the the like software should make our lives easier. Uh, that's mm -hmm. that's at least my belief. Um reducing the complexity is what it's all about. There's so much that has changed. A, a great example is Plaid. Like you did not have this idea of connected bank or brokerage information, even 20 years ago, when uh, a lot of these companies were building V2s and V3s of their tax filing products. If you build today and think about how you would offer tax filing services, you would definitely have APIs in mind. Uh, that's the that totally changes the way you think about connecting data sources uh, and doing a lot of this. 
And that's a perfect segue. So let's talk about column tax and the platform, how it works, because it's not like consumers are coming to column tax to do taxes like TurboTax. Uh, so talk about your business model and how the platform works. Yeah. So we're building an API platform. So any fintech app, banking company, or financial institution can offer embedded tax products like tax filing native within their app. And fundamentally, what we think that does, the first thing is it helps realign incentives. So today, tax companies make their money by their B2C. And so they make their money largely by upselling. Uh, and having people pay them directly. And they've gotten very good at it. Those, those apps are really good at upselling in the middle of the product. We believe that if you offer it as an API and a white label product, it removes that kind of funky incentive and really aligns us all to just helping people, help you get through your tax uh, problems year round without the incentive uh, to constantly upsell. Uh, so that's one, realigning incentives. The second is it can be year round. Uh, we can help you in context without you having to go to a third-party app and think about it. And then the third is we can connect to other financial uh, sources in your life. So I'll, I'll give an example. We partner with an amazing company called Solo, Work Solo, that helps gig workers manage their uh, both income and expenses year-round. And with Column, we can take all the information in Solo, which we think is up to 80% for somebody, pre-fill it into the return, save them 10 plus hours, save them a lot of money and time uh, when it comes to their uh, the filing end of year. So better incentives year round and connected. That's the vision for Column. And we deliver that by offering white label products directly wherever someone banks. Another, like when I mentioned the like low income, like the impact that you've had. So you have a partnership with a company called Propel that uh, when you see the impact it's had, it's the, the numbers are staggering. That. That's one we're particularly proud of, yeah. Um, I mean, Propel is an amazing company. They have done so much for EBT and um, low-income individuals in this country. And so when they wanted to offer tax filing, for us, that is so aligned with the mission that we have, bringing more affordable and more accessible products. And so an example of that, Propel launched embedded tax filing this year with Column, and 45% of the people that filed through the provider's app did not file their taxes the year before. And when you think about, there's so many reasons why somebody would want to file their taxes, uh, specifically the refund and the amount that we can get for that person, being able to lower the barrier that people have to filing, that is like, that is our dream. That is why we're here. Yeah, I mean, the the, the, the press release, 17,000 returns and access to 50 million in refunds own, owed. So it's just like, it's staggering that uh, level of, impact that uh, your platform is having so how do you get it started as far as building a platform like this you know we talked about the complexity of the tax code so how do you even get started with those technical challenges to make this a good experience for your customers to the end consumer yeah great question so i would say we start with the need so what is the taxpayer's need what's the job to be done and we have a couple of different ways that we do this. And we do a mix of, of building ourselves and partnering with other people um, in order to deliver for this. So, so I'll give some examples. Um, you asked, where do you get started? Early on, we really wanted to learn what would it take to help people optimize the withholdings on their paycheck? Uh, that's one of the most important parts of your tax life, how much comes out of your paycheck if you have a W-2, but it's one of the most hidden parts 
of taxes today. You, you usually fill out a W-4 when you start a job and never think about it again. <laughs> that is like but the standard I, I, mode. I don't even think, I remember filling those out when I was just starting out. I had no idea what I was filling out. And I was just like, okay. Right. <laughs> right. Right. It's like one of your onboarding docs when you started a company and you're like, okay, like I just want to get paid. I live here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Zero one. Like right. it's very confusing. Um, but it really impacts your refund in your financial life. And so when we when we started, the first thing we wanted to do was help people understand and optimize the withholdings on their paycheck. Either get more access uh to that money during the year or not be in a place where you're gonna have a surprise bill at the end of the year. And so that's that's the visibility and understanding. And very much the spirit at column is do what we're great at and partner with others to help fill in those uh, to fill in the rest. Like we are better together. The whole concept of being a platform is we get to bring together everything that is happening in fintech and be the tax layer that sits on top of that. That's the goal. And so an example of where to get started worked with Atomic Financial, uh, which is one of the companies that's building uh, payroll APIs to programmatically access information around withholdings and help people optimize that. Um, launched with some great companies. Um, so that's an example of like where to get started. Start by finding the people who are great at what they do already and bring tax to that type of concept, uh, like withholdings. So where's the, what's the current, you know, state of the state as far as the business, you know, the you know number of partners you have, uh, capital raise, whatever you can share. Yeah. So we, this was our second tax filing season. We got IRS, IRS authorization now like 15, 16 months ago. Uh, we just went through our second season. Uh, we were super excited. Uh, we had over, we have over 15 partners that we're working with. Um, we've raised close to like 27 million uh, in, a, in a seed in series A. And as we look ahead, we're super excited to take all the learnings we've had from this season, kind of our first big embedded uh, filing season and, and look ahead with larger partners at scale uh, for, for the years ahead. And as far as the size of the team, like how many employees do you have and what are the plans as far as growing the team? 23, I think there might be 24 as of uh, an offer accept. So 24, I want to grow the team to something like 30. Um, and something we've definitely learned and seen when you're building from the ground up, we like smaller teams. Like if, if it was up to us, we'd keep uh, the company smaller if we can, just because there's so much complexity to keep in one person's head. The more people you have, the more complexity you add and the coordination overhead. So early, we like being small, um, but I think we'll grow to something like 30. Now, we keep talking about the complexity of what you're building. Like, like what, what advice would you have for entrepreneurs on how to build a complex product, but thinking deeply about the user experience and the design side so that, you know, there's... There's a, you can make elegant looking software that's so, super easy to use, yet super complicated on the back end. Everything should be in its simplest form possible uh, is kind of something that we come back to. And what that means to us is distilling a ton of complexity is our job and bringing a simple solution forward uh, should, should be the output. I'm trying to think of if I can give some examples in practice um, that bring that to light. but. All of the work we do is trying to take complexity and make it simple for the taxpayer uh, and the end user. Um, I, oh, an example I can think of, earn, earned income tax credit. Uh, one of the most complicated credits uh, in the United States, but one of the most important. It's one of the things that underpins the, the social safety net in the United States. 
And there's all this eligibility criteria that's required for the earned income tax credit. It's very stressful uh, for a bunch of reasons. I think our team does and did an amazing job of working with a company like Providers and getting people access to that credit. Uh, we've talked about $50 million of refunds, making it easier to claim the earned income tax credit. A lot of work goes into making that complexity feel simple enough that somebody feels comfortable going to do it. And we talked about your your employees. So um, are you mainly uh, like a remote company or like are there, you know, hybrid? Like what, what's the working environment like? Fully remote with an office in New York. Um, so we have like six or seven folks that are here uh, out of the 23. One of the things that when you start a company, you have to be right about some things and you have to get lucky about some things, right? You need some combination. One of the things I don't think we fully appreciated and got quite lucky on is remote unlocks a really unique opportunity for a tax company, which is being able to hire amazing tax people all over the US. Um, and we think the best tax people are very much spread out and, and usually between coasts. Um, and so we've been so lucky to uh, be able to hire an amazing team there because of that. Yeah, I would think that is definitely a, a strategic advantage for being remote for your type of company because that level of domain experience is so critical. You know, the person that is understands that tax code and like, I mean, that's if that person's in Florida or if they're in Ohio, it's like you need that domain expertise. Very much so. Very, very much so. Um, yeah. So what have you learned, like, like how to lead a company that is remote first and build a, you know, a vibrant culture where people are working together? I think this is always a work in progress. And I, I would start by saying really hard problem, especially when you're early and the whole goal of the company is to even, let's just say, like get a V1 product out. Everything you do is focused on shipping uh, that software and signing the first customers. And so for the early parts of the company, I think we had a very strong focus on that. Um, I think it's much more about like, what are the things that unite us um, and why are we here and how do you build a culture around that? And so as we look ahead, we actually have our, our whole company offsite next week uh, where we, we all get together once a year in person. And a lot of that will be centered around, you know, last year at this time, I think we were like 10 people. Now we're 23. That's a whole, that's a totally different company. Um, and so being able to reset some of the norms, how do we communicate? What do we celebrate? What brings us together? What are our company values? And then living those day to day and finding ways to do that uh, virtually. That's that's very much the challenge for the company as we, as we grow. I also noticed that you're, you know, been involved. I don't know if you still are, but you were a member, mentor at, you know, first round capital operators guild. So what, what advice would you have for other operators in terms of, you know, sharing their knowledge and mentoring others so that they can learn? I feel like I mostly get the benefit of learning from those. Uh, I think I get much more than I give to those kinds of communities, which is good. Mm -hmm. Like my goal is to find people who know what they're doing uh, much smarter and be able to absorb even yeah, my advice would be find really smart people and find where they hang out and then try and hang out with them. Like if, if your goal is to learn how to operate at scale, Operators Guild, I find to be an incredible space for um, for people. So like finding those spaces and uh, being there, I think is, is good. Um, I think I get much more than I give. 
<laughs> like what is operator scale? Cause you know, first round capital is a VC firm and you know, part of their overall experience and platform is mentorship, but I wasn't as familiar with operators guild. Operators guild is a community of, I guess operators kind of like a large term in software. I think specifically it, in that context, it means COOs, CFOs, uh, basically like non-product, non-engineering, non-CEO uh, type of uh, backgrounds and being able to, um, yeah, being able to learn as a community. So I'm trying to think, there's message boards, there's virtual meetups, there's an annual conference. What I love about it is it's a place that I can go and ask like a question and I'll get 10 people to answer. Oh yeah, like we use X for our AR and AP system. Like it's really tactical as a group, as operators. Um, and so maybe that leads into like a broader theme, which is like find people who can help you solve, see the same problems and are, you're, you know, can help you solve the same flavor of problems. Now you're based in New York, right? Yeah, that's right. So, um, and I know you're building a remote first company, but yet like what's, what, what are some of the differences from the tech scene from, you know, being in San Francisco Bay area and, you know, working with companies there compared to the New York scene? So many very different, very different cultures, I think. So first, San Francisco and, and what I found uh, Bay Area generally, very much product engineering heavy, um, which I, I will show my bias. I think that's the way it should be. So at, at Column, for example, we are a product company, first and foremost. And my co-founder, Michael, leads product. So in many ways, he leads like the direction that he sets for the company is the most important because at the end of the day, we're a software company. Building software is an art. And so that is what should lead us. On sales, we are very much an extension of what our product does. In New York, there's a lot of good software engineering, but oftentimes it's more business focused, I find. The conversations are much more business focused versus in San Francisco, the conversations are much more technical and software focused. That's That's a very broad generalization, but I have I feel like I've observed that. And then I think the second thing is in SF, it's like totally normal to quit your job and go start a company and like join YC. And I think that's not, it's just not as common in New York. There's a lot more like, uh, there's a lot more diversity of, of uh, industry and it's less common to just like <laughs> leave a very cushy job and go take a risky startup uh, opportunity. I think that's changing though. Um, I think it's changing quite a bit. Yeah, no, the uh, New York tech scene is just constantly evolving. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to see how large it is. Um, just because I, you know, when I started, you know, working in the tech industry, it was uh, 98 and the New York tech scene was uh, significant, but it wasn't nearly the size it is now. Now it's just massive and so many different types of companies. You know, it's not just fintech, it's everything, cybersecurity and even biotech and hardware. So it's got everything now. It's really cool to see how it's developed. Top three apps you can't live without. They're all going to be work ones. That's <laughs> 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 all my time working. That's um, okay. Doesn't get nearly enough love. Uh, superhuman for email, love. Uh, I'm a huge fan. Makes my life so much better. Um Text Expander, another app that I feel like doesn't get enough love, uh, is an amazing way to automate uh, a bunch of workflows. And then what's a third one that I really like? Oh, uh, 
Alfred, um, or actually, no, let me say Mem. Um, Mem's new note-taking app. Uh, it's really good. Amazing web clipper, organized my entire life in that app. Um, so yeah, superhuman uh, text expander, Mem. I feel like I use those every single day. So Mem, so that I haven't heard of that one yet. So that's like a, a new take on note-taking and it's just, so it's just a better experience or? It's like an AI enabled note-taker. I will say I don't know if anyone from Mem will ever listen to this, but I don't use any of the AI features. I don't think it's just a very, I think it's a nice UI and a great web clipper. I I used to use Evernote. I find Mem is better. Um, so yeah, new note taking app. Okay. What do you like to do for fun outside of work? I feel like my life shifted so much moving to New York. Um, so skiing, being outdoors. Um, I do it a little bit less now that I'm here. In New York, I love uh, the culture here is just amazing going to music, going to shows, being with friends, amazing food. Um, so yeah, mix of those things. Very cool. Well, Gavin, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your professional background. Obviously all the great work you guys are doing at Column Tax and all the great advice you shared along the way. Thanks. Really appreciate it. Super fun uh, getting to chat. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.